This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Well, today I'm kind of flying solo, and I am really excited because I have a dear friend that is joining me today, uh, Chris Butterworth. Uh, many of you probably remember he was on our podcast in an earlier uh, session and was talking about one of his many books, uh, Why Bother? And I just think so much of Chris. Um, he's also a, a partner as far as a Shingo faculty fellow. But instead of me jumping into that, Chris, if you would tell us a little bit about yourself and about uh, your connection to the Shingo Institute, especially since today we're, this is a three part series where we're going to be talking about the third dimension of enterprise alignment and the principles within that and how that all works with the Shingo model. But before we jump too far into that, Chris, tell us a little bit about you and about your background and, and the work that you're doing today. Sure. Thanks, Skip. It's a real pleasure to, to be back. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Um, I've been in continuous improvement for over 30 years. I, I've written five books. Um, um, enjoy very much sharing all my lessons that I've learned, and I continue to learn every day in every conversation that I have. I am honoured to be a faculty fellow of the Shingo Institute. I, I, I'm a master trainer and, and an examiner. Um, and I edited the Shingo Enterprise Alignment and Results book, which we are going to be talking about today. Well, fantastic. So, you know, we know that within the Shingo Institute, there's 10 guiding principles, and those 10 guiding principles are even part of a model, uh, a very systemic model, uh, you know, that has principles and systems and tools and results and has culture in the middle. So kind of set that stage, and then let's get into these principles, Chris, if you would, uh, and and what kind of behaviors would someone see if they walked into an organization and they and and they saw those principles being lived out? Kind of kind of set us up, if you would, on that. Sure. So um, we think about um, the principles, the principles inform ideal behaviors. So they help us to understand what an ideal behavior should look like. An ideal behavior is something that gives us ideal results, sustainable long-term results that continuously improve. So the Shingo principles are split into three dimensions, and you've already heard about the cultural neighbor dimensions, and you've already heard about the continuous improvement dimensions, and today we're going to talk about the enterprise alignment dimensions. And there are three of those. So I'm going to talk about each of those in turn, but I'm also going to try and illustrate how they interconnect and also how they interconnect with all the other principles as well. So um, let's start with create a constancy of purpose. Now, this is um, not a new idea. This is this concept has been around a long time. In fact, uh, Benjamin Disraeli, who was a brilliant author and prime minister of the UK twice in the 19th century, said uh, the secret of success is a constancy of purpose. And, and what we mean by a constancy of purpose is not just about making it clear why we exist as an organization, 
what constancy of purpose is about is ensuring that everyone has a connection to why we exist and it's a personal connection between their purpose and the organizational's purpose so the uh we're we get to the point where everyone in the organization has a shared understanding of why we exist as an organization. And if I, if I try and put that into, into a, um, a hospital example, for example, imagine that we are a, uh, a leader doing what I call a look, listen and learn walk, which often described as again, the walk, but I think we're going to look and we're going to listen, we're going to learn. And we, we, we're doing this activity out of curiosity to understand particularly whether people connect with our purpose. So we come across a team of cleaners and we ask the first cleaner, well, can you tell me what you're doing? And they say, yeah, I'm cleaning this area. Okay, now that person is there for the wage. We ask the second person, oh, what are you doing? They say, oh, well, I am cleaning to the best possible standard because I want to be proud and I want people to see that we are really focused on keeping things clean. That's really good. That person has a vocation. And we speak to the third person again, what are you doing? They say, I am cleaning to ensure that no one gets an infection and they leave the hospital as quickly as possible. Now, that person has a personal connection to the purpose of the organization and they are proud of that connection. And they know that what they're doing is really important and that it's a benefit to the patient and to the hospital and to themselves. Really That's good. Great. Really good, Chris. So so in that in that uh, manifestation of seeing that constancy of purpose, you know, being manifested in and how that person thought about their job, that would also say that leadership has to have a constancy of purpose to continue to reinforce that. Am I thinking about that right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because it, it, it needs it needs constant reinforcement and it doesn't happen by just telling people, just by communicating to them because that's one way then and they might hear it, but they won't believe it or understand it. So a leader's role is to constantly ask questions that help people to see that connection. And they do, they, they, when they're asking these questions, they're not testing the person. They're actually testing themselves and the systems to say, has the way that we have explained this worked? Because if people can't answer these questions in the way I hope they can, that's not their fault. That's telling me the system we've used hasn't been good enough. How, what do we need to learn from that as leaders to do it even better? Really, really good. So that's one of three principles. Is that it right? Is. It is. And, 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 you know, one of the behaviors that you might see around that one, just to close on that one, could be you can listen to the conversations that people are having and they would demonstrate in those conversations and the actions that they take that they're really fully aligned to the purpose. And you might see that, for example, in meetings inside the discussions about what are the priorities and what are they going to focus on? Are those conversations anchored back to the constancy of purpose of the organization. Really good, so really good. If we, if we think, one way to think about that constancy of purpose is it gives us um, alignment up and down the organization, you know, vertical alignment, I call it, from top to bottom, CEO, medical staff, cleaners, cook, 
should have everybody knowing why we exist as an organization. However, the second principle is think systemically. Because constancy of purpose won't work unless we also think systemically, which is thinking horizontally across the organization. How, as a team, do we deliver the purpose? Because it's okay knowing it, and it's okay me doing my bit, but I can only do so much on my own unless I understand how the whole system works, or certainly how my inputs and what I send on to the next person impact on the system. So think systemically is about understanding what's happening before me, what's understanding about what's happening after me. Uh, we understand, you know, for example, how that might manifest itself is when we do problem solving or when we want to change something, we think about who else that might impact and we don't make that change without having those kind of conversations and checking that that is a change that will be to the benefit of the whole system rather than just to me or my team, but actually be detrimental to other people. So that thinking systemically is about looking across horizontally and people boundaries. Now, the things that we're trying to get here with thinking systemically, and this is one of the principles that is really easy to illustrate how it connects to everybody, because what we're trying to do is ensure flow of value through departments. So, you know, pull and flow is a, uh, thinking systemically is critical to achieving pull and flow, because unless you think systemically, you can't get flow because it just stops and starts. The other aspect of it is um, you need to be you need to have respect for every individual and demonstrate humility in order for think systemically to be effective. Because if you are not prepared to respect every individual and, and demonstrate humility, you will always optimize your bit of the process at the expense of others. Sometimes you might actually need to suboptimize your bit slightly in order for the whole to work more effectively. And that's where humility comes in and where respect comes in. Respect also comes in when we, when we link it to the third principle in terms of uh, the customer. And in this case, um, I'm, going to, you know, I, I'm going to say, well, one customer is a patient. Yeah? I know people don't necessarily like that phrase, but they are someone who receives our services. And that's the way to think about customers, anyone who receives our services. So it also links very closely to create value for the customer because customers don't care about departments. If I'm a patient coming to the hospital, I don't care what department someone is in. I don't care what specialism you're in. I just want to get better and get out quickly as possible. You know, and the, and the issue with often if we don't think systemically is we end up with lots and lots of handovers between different departments. And every time there's a handover, we get waste. The bigger the handover, the more waste. So what we, by thinking systemically, what we're trying also to do is reduce waste. And waste might manifest itself in many ways, but if we think about it in terms of patient flow, it's delay time. Really good, great points. Uh, I could go in so many directions here. So let me let's let's hit the horizontal first. Uh, and you've heard me speak before, Chris. Uh, you know about 
healthcare is arguably the most complex socio-technical system on planet Earth. Yeah. You know, when a patient enters in healthcare, from the point of entry until they're discharged, there's so many different handoffs. Yes. And if it was only technology, it would be much easier. But there's mm-hmm. the social element of different yeah. specialties and different disciplines. And, and, and you're so correct in that there has to be this leading with humility and respect every individual because that impacts that handoff and how well that patient flows or doesn't flow. Arguably the biggest uh, issue is patient flow right now. I know in the United States, at least in the healthcare system, but let me talk about, um, let me, let's talk about a different element of that systemic thinking. Uh, Let's talk about the vertical element of that uh, for a second. You know, I know that um, when a system becomes very complex, the bigger it becomes, uh, you could have uh, what sometimes we would call strategic deployment and alignment. You know, you could have these uh, strategic gaps that need to be shut, uh, this strategic effort that you're trying to really focus on. It would not be uncommon. I know this has been true for me as a Shingo examiner, and I suspect it has been for you to find really good, wonderful, smart individuals that have developed these strategic plans and efforts at the high level. But by the time you get to the front level, there's no connection. There's no alignment all the way up. Have you seen that also as an examiner across the world? Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's uh, I actually I think it's a really good quote from Deming, which, which kind of illustrates it, where he says a company could put a top person in every position uh, and would be swallowed by a competitor who has people only half as good, but has a better system where people are working together. And so thinking systemically is actually also about people working together. It's also about um relationships and I, and I know and, and uh, you, you're a big fan like me of Edgar Schein you, you knew him personally I never I never had that honor you know but those relationship levels and, and getting to that personal level of relationship are critical to make a system work we can have the best system technically in the world and it will fail unless the social elements are in place unless the relationships and the behaviors are designed are, are really thought through and the system designed in such a way that it supports the behaviors we need to achieve the end result. Well, so. that's a great point. You know, to go back to Deming, I was always a big uh, Dr. Deming fan. And I'm, I'm sure I'm going to butcher the, the next quote. So if I do, please, listeners, don't don't send me messages. But, you know, I remember he had a great quote that that uh, our processes are designed to give us perfectly exactly what we get. Now, <laughs> I, I may have butchered that quote, but a lot of times, you know, we see wonderful people caught up in a really bad system. And I know another quote was that a, you know, a bad system will destroy a good person every day. Yeah. And and so often we don't look at the system. We don't look at the process of why are we getting this bad service, mm-hmm. this bad care, this bad product, whatever it may be, well, it most likely it's because our processes have either degraded or were bad to begin with. I mean, your your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I think I link it back, if I may, to 
to respect every individual because nobody or very, very few people come into work to deliberately do a bad job. Most people want to do a good job. And you see that all the time in healthcare. Dedicated individuals, passionate to deliver a service. They're there because not for the money, they're because they want to be there and they want to help. And then we make it really hard for them to do their job. And you know, if you have if you just you ask a simple question to anybody in, in, in any hospital and say, is there anything that you find frustrating in getting the job done? And you will have an enormous list from most people because they're getting it done despite the system. And that's not just in hospitals, that's, that's in, in many places. So our role as leaders is to say, well, hang on a minute. How do we make it easy for people to do a good job? How do we design systems in such a way that enable people to do the thing that they're really passionate about and will give a great service? And, and, and so that's fundamental thinking systemically is how do we make it easier to do the right thing? So let me see if I can connect several dots here, no pun intended, is, uh, you know, um, we talk about asking these leaders about their processes. And I remember one time talking to my late friend, Dr. Edgar Schein, or Ed, as he liked me to call him. And I said, Ed, in my 31-year career, I have seen leaders in every industry at every level ask their people for ideas suggestions, concerns, and opportunities, and rarely do I hear people speak up. And I loved his answer. He said, think about it, Skip. If the relationship between that leader and the people they're asking that question to is nothing more than a transactional relationship, then most often those people will feel like there's more to lose than there is to gain. So those principles of leading with humility those principles of respect for every individual are so important if we're going to improve the systems, if we're going to improve the alignment, because yes. people have the freedom to either share their ideas, their concerns, or they can decide, you know what, there's more to lose than there is to gain. So I'm just going to keep that to myself. Yeah. I'm just going to get my head down and do the best I can um, because I can't, you know, the system's beating me. Well, we need to be, uh, we need to think differently about how we help people to do a great job. Um, and it's not about just giving them more training and analysis. It's, it's about actually people deliver results through the systems and processes we give them. So how do we, and they will know what's not working. <laughs> That's right. That, that, yeah. That's right. So that's exactly how do we right. Them to change the system. That's right. Well, and, and you know, even though we've tried to make this clear so far, and let me kind of state the obvious. You know, um, this is the third uh, in a series. Obviously, we're talking about the principles that specifically fall under. The inter, uh, enterprise alignment dimension. There's three principles there. There's ten principles all together, uh, and let's talk about these. These aren't principles that Shingo has has uh, invented, are they? No, these are principles that have uh, uh, been discovered, if you like. They've always been there. The test of a principle is: can you see consequences if it's in place? 
positive consequences if that principle is in place. And if it's not in place, you'll see negative consequences. And that, that this learning has come from a whole range of different people uh, you know, all around the world and, and, and landed on these set of principles that, that, we, that the Shingo say these are our 10 people. Now, there are others. There are clearly many others. I mean, Baptists have 11 principles, for example. The people might have 12. Some people might have. The point is, those are principles that inform our behaviors. They inform our ideal behaviors. And, and um, so they're not meant to be something that is like a... The, the tablet of stone, you can only ever have these principles, you know, it's, it's, it, but they are too meant to provoke our thinking and get us to think about, well, what, how do we know if something is a, is a good behavior or not? How do we know if it's an ideal behavior? And we can do that by testing it against principles. And I see, I have seen quite a bit of confusion about what's the difference between a behavior and what's a principle. Right? And typically people will say things like, oh, well, uh, Respect is a principle or uh, great value. Uh, uh, well, it's not really. Sorry, respect is a behavior. It's, it's not really. Respect is a principle. You see respect in different ways or create value for the customer is a behavior. Well, not really. It's a principle. And how you demonstrate that principle is through behaviors. So you, and the test for a behavior is you something that you could video happening. It's got to be observable and recordable. So this is the idea behind principles. They're helping us to define behaviors that we could see because we could have a debate you and me skip could have a debate about what is creating value for the customer what does that really mean and so but if we actually define behaviors that would demonstrate it then we wouldn't have a debate because say, well are we seeing that behavior or not is that behavior in place yes or no you actually by then using the principles to define behavior making much easier to get the results that you need Really, really, really good. So let's just take one. Let's take one principle and and let's uh, tease it out a little bit. Um, Even though we are um, talking about enterprise alignment and and, uh, let's take uh, any any principle that you want. Just grab one and and play it out. There's one we haven't spoken about yet out of, the, out of the enterprise alignment piece, which is create value for the customer. So maybe maybe we can explore that one a little bit. And um, so we think about um, ex- create value for the customer. The start point is, do I know who my customers are? And, and you know, it's surprising how many times you, when you ask people that, they go, uh, well, yeah, and there's a pause. Because it's not really necessarily something they thought about, you know. So I, I remember having a great conversation with some senior officers in, in the uh, Royal Australian Air Force about who their customers were. Because that was a very interesting conversation. Who, and who's the customer of someone in the hospital? Well, clearly the patient is a customer, kind of customer. But it's not only that. It's actually all the other teams in the hospital that I have to provide a service for. So the radiology department, the pharmacy department, all have internal customers as well as the patient. So we need to understand that customers isn't just someone outside. It's whoever, externally or internally, we are providing a service to. And if you think about, um, I also uh, encourage people to think about regulators as customers. Now, this is quite a controversial uh, statement. Not everyone agrees with me by any means, but if we pick if we think of a regulator as you know, the people that come in and audit the hospital or any other area pharmaceutical we think about them as a customer we change the way we look at them 
So what is it that, is it that they would value? How do we design our systems in such a way that when they do come in, they go, oh, well, that's good, rather than trying to prepare in advance everything and hide the stuff we don't want them to see, you know, actually, no, let's treat them as a customer and get our systems right in the first place. And you start thinking about that relationship in a very different way. So the, the concept for me of customer is much, much broader than we traditionally think about it. Who's the community? They're our customers. Who are, the, who are suppliers? They're a form of customers because we want to give, we, we want a interdependent relationship with them, not a, contra, a, a um, relationship that's at loggerheads. So that's, first of all, is gathering that real concept about who they are. And then the second key element to create value at customers, well, how do I know what they value? And, and we tend to assume that we know. It's the most dangerous thing we can do. The only assumption we can make about customer value is to assume that we don't know. <laughs> and we don't know Very and good. We, and Very until good. we talk to them. We try and find out customer value, especially in hospitals, by doing lots of surveys. Surveys do not tell us customer value. Surveys at best measure satisfaction about the things we have decided are important to the customer. Well, they might not care about many of them. People wonder why they get a very low response rate. Well, they're not important to a lot of people. That we're not asking them the things that really matter to them often. Yeah. One of the worst examples I've ever seen was a customer survey where the 10 different departments wrote the 10 questions to the customer about what they what they wanted, to, how the customer valued the service that department was providing. And the number wow. of biggest response from the customer was, well, I don't care what department you're in. You know, so I, I need you to think about it systemically and you think about what adds value from a customer point of view. So, so satisfaction is not the same as value. Satisfaction is about how well we kind of perform in today. Value is also about what is it that they might value from us in the future. How do we change our systems to deliver what they really need rather than measure satisfaction by what they get today? And that's a different way of thinking about value, thinking about future value and how we align everybody so they know what the customers really value. And they focus on continually improving the systems, improving the processes, improving the relationships to deliver that value. Really, really good, Chris. That was so good. You know, I know I could spend a long time sitting here talking to you, not only because you're a dear friend, but uh uh, I love this conversation. Uh, so often uh, it's so natural for us to fall into a trap of saying, well, we've got bad results. Therefore, and you'll even hear sometimes people say language like, well, we just need to hold people accountable. Mm. And and sometimes that language is not in the proper context, right? Yeah. Be, because we really got to look at what are the principles that we're embedding within the organization what behaviors are they manifesting? Yes. What are the systems uh, that we have set up, uh, yeah. you know, to help us? So really, really. And how really. we and how we how are we managing the behaviors? How are we what yes. behavioral indicators are we putting in place to check is the system delivering the behavior we need? Exactly. And exactly. it's not KBIs are not a check on the people. They're a check on. Is the system doing what it, we want it to do? And it really say that one more time. The, the key behavioral indicators are not a check on the people, but on the system. 
on the effectiveness of the system that we have designed, we've put in place and we've given people to do their work. And if really we're not getting good. the behaviors, then there's something wrong with the system. Really good. Well, Chris, thank you so much, my dear friend, for uh, spending some time today. Hopefully this uh, three-part uh, Shingo Guiding Principles uh, series was helpful to our listeners. Uh, I definitely want to invite all of our listeners to go check out uh, you know, Chris's many books. Um, probably the one that I use most often today is Why Bother, uh, that also uh, won the Shingo uh, uh, award recently, if I remember right. So congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Well, thank and you so much, pleasure. my friend. Uh, on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, thank you so much for spending time. Uh, I don't even have to say it. I know for a fact that you'll uh, be coming and joining us again. I know this is the second time you've joined us so far on the podcast. And so we're so incredibly grateful for you. So on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you, Skip. It's been a pleasure. Anytime.